Good to see everybody. Have a seat. For those who don't know us, I'm Pastor Daniel. This is my amazing wife, Amanda. Hello. We're so happy to be with you tonight. She's a pastor too, but I like the title amazing better than the title <laughs> pastor. So when introducing her, that's, that's more fun. So I'm excited to get to share tonight. And we've picked, we, okay, we had a whole bunch of messages. And I'm like, all right, I've got like two or three. What ones do you want? And we kind of like laid it all out there. And then we get to preach this Sunday night together and talk more about marriage. So I'm like, all right, well, whatever we can't cram into the first one. Yeah, couldn't hardly touch you. All right, so that's better. Um, but what I wanted, what we wanted to share, is how to have a great marriage. Um, and when I say that, there's some of you guys who are like, "Yeah, yeah, great," and there are others who are like, "That's not even possible." He says that because really, I didn't think it was possible. <laughs> no, after we got married, I was so confused on why she married me. Like for real, because we we get married. And just a little bit in, she's like, I did not expect it to be this good. And then, the, the, like, the next day, I did not expect you to be this sweet. I did not expect you to be this nice. Like, what did you expect? <laughs> if you expected that, why did you marry me? I just thought everybody's life kind of sucked. <laughs> and she went through, while we were going through the notes, she's like, I guess I really wanted to have kids. <laughs> That's the only thing I could think of. I was like, yeah, why would I? That didn't make sense. <laughs> no, her expectation was that it would be a lot of fighting and a lot of problems and um, that like you'd, you'd make it through it and you'd have some good times here and there, but her expectations were so low. I was honestly set up really well. Because <laughs> anything I did was going to outperform her expectations. There was a little bit of problems with some of the baggage and the expectations, but at like the same time, the, there was a lot of winning because everything was outpacing these expectations. Um, but I remember a little while back listening to somebody else who was married, and they were talking, and they said, when somebody says that they don't fight, he goes, I don't believe them, so I stop listening. And, and I was like, hey, but we don't. <laughs> I just looked at them and were like, that's so sad. You are so lost in your own dysfunction that you don't even know that there's hope. And there are marriages in all sorts of condition. But I want you to know that there's hope. I want you to know that marriage can be amazing. And if your marriage isn't, that doesn't mean you have to, sh like, return it. <laughs> if there's still breath in your lungs, there is hope. <laughs> that means we can, you can fix it. That there is hope that it can change. And so um, we really, really have an incredible marriage. And so we begin discussing, going, hey, what is it that makes our marriage phenomenal? And with anything that you want to build that's great, uh, I was just hearing who, is it who just spoke on Sunday, um, Joel Richardson. He says, you don't build the roof first. You build the foundation. And what your marriage foundation is really sets your marriage up to be awesome, to be full of cracks, to be wobbly, 
to fall flat on its face. Like it, it's the foundation is so important. The good news is if you haven't laid one, we can do some foundation work. But the foundation that you have changes everything. Definitely. I love Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And that sounds so simple, I think, but really there's so much truth in that, that when we're focusing on the Lord and on who he has called us to be, everything else just falls into place. Um, and sometimes we get this idea that, does this mean that if, I'm a, that if I actually put my faith into practice— and that's the thing. So I can't tell you, I talk to more Christians about their problems than I do non-Christians. And there are people who dearly love Jesus who are in phenomenal amount of mess. Um, but most of the time, it's because though they love Jesus, they didn't do it his way. But as I was, as I was thinking about this, it's like, is this a magic wand? Does it make all problems go away? No. Um, it's work. If you have a, a house with a solid foundation, does it make all storms flee from your house? No. But though the storms may rage around you, you can be inside the house unaffected. And there is no formula that we could give you that will control all the circumstances around you. But if we can make our foundation on him, then we can stand strong no matter what storms surround us. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 Jesus says, those who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Not enough to hear. He goes, if you hear and put these into practice, it's like a wise person who built his house on a rock. He goes on and says that the foolish person is the one who hears but does not apply them. Storms come to both of them, but the one who, who didn't apply them, it says his house is built on the sand and it will collapse. The person who applies them um, it's solid. And this is so contrary to the world and the world's perspective. Because the world's perspective is um, follow your heart. Do what feels good. That is stupid advice. Do you know what sounds good? A never-ending supply of cookies and milk. He wants to be Santa. <laughs> like, but for real, like, if I was just to follow how I feel, I would be very, very fat. Like, the, 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 those things are appealing, but that doesn't make them a good idea. If I was just to follow my feelings, there's a lot of damage that it would cause to my own life. Um, and so we get to look, and, and Proverbs says that whoever trusts his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Proverbs says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end... It leads to death. Yeah. So we were talking, why is our marriage so good? Like, how do we help everybody else to love marriage this much? <laughs> and one of the things we talked about was, we know what the Bible says, and we do it. Now, that sounds overly simple. <laughs> that doesn't mean we're perfect, but that means we have to be teachable. That means we expect each other to fail. Why did Jesus come? Because he knew we would mess up. So I don't expect him to be perfect. He doesn't expect me to be perfect. But we have this expectation that we love God so much that when we correct each other, 
It's in love and it's expecting the best. And we're gonna take it back to the word and say, ooh, yeah, I missed it there. I'm gonna, I'll do better next time. And it's just kind of this idea that we think if we make a mistake or we fail, we can take it so personal and say, oh, I'm an awful person. And the enemy comes and wants to speak all these lies and all this junk to us when really God knew we were gonna mess up. That's why he gave us the word so that we would know, recognize when we mess up and know how to fix it and how to change. And we're able to then say, oh, well, oops. Well, let's fix that. And we, one of our family mottos is, failure is just a step on the way to success. That's it. It's okay to mess up. We make sure that our kids know that, that I don't expect them to be perfect just because they're pastor's kids. <laughs> just because they know the word doesn't mean they're always gonna do it. They're gonna have times where they make a mistake and that's okay. That's what we're here for. We're gonna learn and grow together. Yeah. When, when if, uh, in Joshua 8, it says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. So as we looked at, at this, we just, <clears throat> honestly, we were going over, I had a, a bunch of notes, most of which we won't get to. And then she's like, so what did you get put together? And I, I put it together and I had some stuff that I'd asked her the other day while I just typed, which we might not get to either. Um, but we sat down on the Costco parking lot and we're just having this discussion. And I'm like, here, flip that page over and start writing. And <laughs> she's like, well, honestly, it's because we know the Bible says A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and we do those things. So I'm going to give you uh, these verses because if we apply these verses, it changes everything. As Joshua 8 says, he goes, if you will do this, if you will meditate on these and do these verses, he goes, it will make your way prosperous. This idea, uh, sometimes there's this myth that God just likes certain people. And I have a hard time staying city. It's just, okay. Freedom! All right, so... But there's this idea that God's like, ooh, I like you, and you, I'm going to bless you, and you, and, nope, you didn't shower this morning. I'm going to bless you. And like, they, like, he's just got this like really weird way of picking people and randomly blessing them. And then sometimes we're like, why wasn't it me? Or you get that like famous, why me? But in uh, Proverbs 2.8, it says that God blesses the way of the righteous in the path of the just. And I, and I read that and like it, it took me off guard because I thought he just protected the righteous and the just, but he goes, no, he protects away. He laid out a path that was clear and he says, hey, I have cleared this area of the traps. I am giving you directions around the trap. If you will follow my directions, you will avoid the trap. But so often we ignore his directions, step on it, and then like, God, why did you do that to me? God must be teaching me a lesson. He's mad at me. No. God said go left and you went right and you wondered why it hurt. God said to speak kindly to your spouse and you screamed at them at the top of your lungs. And you're wondering why they're upset. You're wondering why they don't feel safe in the marriage. 
You're wondering why the, the environment is insecure and toxic. And he goes, well, I gave you instructions on how to speak in a way that would bring you guys closer together and would produce life in your marriage. So. Yeah, so one of the things that we talked about is we know. Let's see, do I have the verse for that? Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And I remember reading that and thinking, what? Every? Are you sure? <laughs> like, I, I need to rewind. <laughs> you know, but when we realize, like, okay, I'm going to give an account for every careless word I speak. So what do I do about that? <laughs> Well, there's another Bible verse that says, I am quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And those are things that we put in our heart, that we confess over our kids, <laughs> that we confess over ourselves. And when we mess up and we say a word that was careless, we're careful to be like, ooh, honey, that, we, we shouldn't talk like that. But it doesn't have to be a fight or a screaming or a how dare you or you're awful, but uh, ooh, we got to fix that because we're going to give an account for every careless word we speak. But having that heart that says, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter who I want to be, first and foremost, I'm a child of God and I want to do what he says and I want to honor him helps all of that go so smoothly. Yeah. Uh, the second verse you mentioned was James 119. Um, when... When you choose how to use your words, you don't ever have to fight. In our marriage, we have only had a handful of fights. The stupid thing is that we have navigated some really difficult and challenging things, and we have made stupid blunders where there was great opportunity for fighting. None of the fights were around that. None of the fights came when they were earned. Our fights were all stupid. Like all five of them. 15 years, five fights. But like, um, they, they were the dumbest things where pride and insecurity got involved. I don't even think it was five. I think it was like two or three. But if we will choose to use our words well. It doesn't mean that we never disagree. But we can have a disagreement in a conversation and it doesn't have to be a fight. There never has to be screaming. There never has to be yelling. There never has to be things flying across the house. There never has to be holes in walls. Like I remember going and we were house shopping and all of a sudden you're like in this one, you're like, there's a fist mark, there's a fist mark, there's a, what the? like, this is ridiculous. Um, and then talking to people, and that's, that's their world. Uh, Proverbs 12, 18 says that there is one whose rash words, or, sorry, it's, I have it in ESV in my notes, and I have it memorized in New King James. So, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We need to know that our tongues are powerful. And you want intimacy in your marriage. You want not just, yes, you want sex, 
but you want to be close and you want to be intimate with your spouse. And here's the problem. A lot of times we live in this country that glorifies free speech. Just because you are legally allowed to say it does not make it a good idea. And so often we say things that are hurtful, that aren't helpful. We call names. Okay, if you call your spouse a name, you lose. If you win the argument, you lose. Um, it's like having a three-legged race and shoving down your teammate. You're like, so you're ahead of your teammate by a step and you lose the whole race. And here's the thing. If, if you won't put a filter over your own mouth, your spouse has a couple of options. Um, number one, most common, is they get into a mud-flinging contest with you where you insult them, so they try to find a way to insult you, and then you insult them back, and they point out your flaw, in which case you try to point out their flaw, and when it's over, everybody feels like crap, and no one feels close to the other person. Or they sit here and they go, you are unsafe. You are mean. I can't show my vulnerability near you where it becomes ammo for you to use towards me. And so I put up a wall. Walls stop intimacy. And if we let these walls get built up in between us and our spouse because they're trying to protect themselves from our careless words, then we are damaging the marriage that we want to have win. And when we recognize that we win or lose together, it changes things. Because then I win when I encourage you, not when I tear you apart. Um, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. So am I speaking words of life? Am I encouraging her? Am I celebrating her? Because if my words bring life to her, then where does she draw on? To me. But if my words are always critical, then there'll be a wall there. Yeah. I just think about some of my favorite people to be around, even growing up. And those were always the people that were kind and spoke life and encouraged me. So we try to find ways to encourage each other often and to speak those words of life. Sometimes you can get really busy with life and just stuff happens and you can just like start going through the motions. But I want to encourage you to be intentional, to find things to point out about your spouse that you do appreciate, that you respect, that you admire. And that will make such a difference and draw you towards one another. Some other things... <laughs> You highlighted it, it makes me laugh. Um, when Daniel says something that I think is stupid or that makes me mad, <laughs> one of the first things I do is nothing. As I'm just quiet and I pray in the spirit. I'm like, okay, Lord, help me see this a different way because <laughs> I don't get it right now. 
But that comes back to the, what have I been putting in my heart? I am quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And because that's what the word says, and because that's what I've been filling up on every day, that becomes my overflow. So instead of immediately reacting to something he says, it's, hmm. Now I see, <laughs> I saw some nurses um, when I was in the hospital a while back, and there was somebody just being irate. And they did so good at remaining calm. There are so many jobs and positions, I think teachers are another one, where people can just act like crazy. And they are so good at remaining calm and de-escalating the situation. <laughs> I have a nurse laughing up here. <laughs> Doctors, I know, all these people. Um, and this is so important in our marriages. You know, if you think, I would be embarrassed if somebody were to walk in and see the way we're communicating, then that's a sign we need to change something. If I know if somebody were to walk in on one of our disagreements or arguments, or if I'm doing it in front of my kids, I'm not embarrassed by the way we disagree. I'm glad my kids are there when we disagree, because they can see what that looks like in a healthy way. Yeah, I just want to point out, she didn't say if Daniel says something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> She said win. Um, we all do it. <laughs> it is bound to happen that you either say something stupid or they hear something stupid. Yep. Sometimes what you say and what they hear are not the same thing. Um, and maybe it's because they heard different words. Maybe it's because they heard different tone. Maybe because those words have a different meaning to them than they have to you. But it will happen, as, as careful as we can be. But how we choose to respond is huge. Um, I interrupt this. Um, because I want you to understand something. Because there's the how we, re how we respond to correction, how we correct each other. There's verses on it, and it makes a world of difference. But as we mention these verses... Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So many people will look at, have looked at me and said, that's just not me. I'm just uh, quick to anger. I talk too much. I'm a redhead. I'm Irish. Like, you just name it. They have some excuse for the reason that they respond a certain way. Um, but he, the Bible says that we are transformed by renewing of our mind. So whatever it was that has been your past or that may have marked the, um, your whole life, may have marked your whole marriage, he goes, that does not need to be who you stay. Yeah. You can, when you get this in, it changes things. We had a volunteer. I'm going to name him Bob. His parents gave him a different name, but I name him Bob. So Bob. Bob had a serious issue with his mouth. And he talked way too much and said a lot of things he shouldn't say. It was not news to Bob. Bob would tell you. He'd like walk up and like, hi, my name's Bob. I talk too much. And you're like, then fix it. Um, but this was just Bob's like MO and it was for years. And we love Bob, but I don't know. I was doing something. This was back when I was pastoring in the junior high and I was giving the students a challenge. I said, students, I want you guys to read Proverbs this month. So one proverb a day, 
It's not going to take you very long, but I said, I want you to pick an issue that you deal with, and I want you to mark it every time it comes up in the book of Proverbs. And, and so Bob was one of the volunteers, but he's like, that's a great idea. I'm going to take the challenge. And so he decided to take Proverbs and mark every time it talked about his speech. Well, it says a lot about your speech. And as he went over this over a month, and in fact, I think he, took, he kept the, it going, and it, was, it may not have even been that first month, but within three months, how he talked had completely changed, and how he viewed it completely changed. And it transformed him because in his thinking, it was no longer, this is my identity and this is just who and what I do. His identity, it, it shifted to, this is what is wise and this is what is foolish and I want to be wise. And it reshaped Bob. And as we go over these points, I want you to recognize that you can meditate on God's word. You can meditate on these verses. The verses that we're listing are not a complete list for these topics. They're just a couple that we threw down. But I want you to recognize that if we meditate on his word, it can and will transform us and mold us into his image. Yeah, speaking of that, one of the things I was known for growing up was being sarcastic and being really harsh and, quite frankly, rude. <laughs> Several of my guy friends got together and had a little intervention to tell me uh, that I was a little too mean and that I needed to try to be a little nicer to people. My response was, you're guys, it's not like you have emotions anyway, get out of here. <laughs> and we don't fight. Okay. <laughs> so, there was a lot of healing before me. Um. Yes, but I'm saying that to say, if there are your tendencies, you don't have to stay like that. I was very rude, I was very sarcastic, I was very insecure all of those different things, but those are things that I have overcome because of the word. God says that we're a new creation, that we can renew our mind, that we don't have to stay the way that we were. I also grew up with a mom and a sister, and we were screamers. That was just how it was. We just, that's how we communicated when we were angry. I don't scream anymore. You know, so those are things to let you know, like, <laughs> we're not perfect, we haven't always been good at this. This is something we've been very intentional to help because God calls us to be like him. If he tells me I can do it in the word, then I believe him. I can do it. It might be hard. <laughs> it might take time, but we can do it. As a Christian, you've committed to some things. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that as a Christian, we committed to lay aside our way and do things God's way. That as a Christian, to be a Christian is to be Christ-like. That means we're a follower of Jesus. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who are just like, ah, that's work. I, I don't want to change. It's okay. Okay, you don't have a great marriage doing okay. You have a great marriage because you go, all right, God, what do you want to do? God, what do you want to change? And God may speak to you. And if he doesn't, Ask your spouse. <laughs> but for real, you are the only spouse that they should have. And it's, they shouldn't be going, oh, this one stopped getting updates. I need to return it. Time for a new one. 
This one doesn't want to change. This one's determined to stay in the same rut for the rest of forever. Um, no, like you get frustrated when a phone, when all of a sudden, I don't know if you ever had this. Okay, maybe it's just me, but I'm Dutch. And so phones and things get expensive. And so you just get one and you're like, I'm just going to keep using it. And then you have it for too long. And they're like, we stopped giving it updates. And like, what does that mean? You I mean, it's going to stop working. It's no longer going to be compatible with anything. Every app that's on it is going to stop functioning because they're going to somehow force themselves to update and then they won't work because this system didn't change. But a lot of us are that way. And we have to be willing to go, no, I am committed to following Jesus. That means I'm committed to changing and growing and letting him mold me more and more into his likeness. That means that in our marriage, I want to be ready to change. And if, if I'm doing something that vexes her, I don't want her to spend her whole life vexed with the only husband she gets. And that means I get to change something. And if I can have that attitude, then our marriage can keep getting better. Now, um, how we correct is important. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. Love is patient. It's kind. does not envy. does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Uh, the word resentful, there's a footnote in my Bible that says, does not keep record of wrongs. Um, when someone makes a mistake and someone's like, let me pull out the catalog. This is number 354 times that you have done that. You did it on April 15 of, and you're like, what? How did you? And, and you not only did you that last time, you also put the toilet paper wrong, on wrong. Last time you burnt the eggs. Last time, you, where is this list coming from? Okay, that, that does, does damage. Um, but Proverbs says that whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 12, 15. Proverbs 9, 8. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. I grew up going through Proverbs over and over and over every month. And when you get this sin, all of a sudden you recognize if I am unwilling to receive correction, the Bible says I'm a fool. If I think I know everything, does not make me wise, that proves I'm a fool. If I don't know everything, then I need to be open to learning, open to receiving correction. And now how we bring that up makes a huge difference because if you come at somebody attacking them, um, they are, they're going to defend themselves. Um, whether that's making excuses, blaming, or trying to point out a bigger flaw that you have, all of which are counterproductive. But if we can do this in love, and there's, there's some simple things like, rather than the, 
I can't believe you. You and fill in the blank. That's so dumb. Are you? I, I, I can't even for an illustration turn and call her dumb. Like, but, <laughs> um, but when we when we come at it that way, we are already losing. Because, and a lot of times it's to save face or to try to get your point across in such a large way as to get them to change. But when we over-exaggerate and when we come at it with insults, the other person feels attacked and either attacks back, defends himself, or shuts down. But if we can look and go, hey, that really hurt. There's nothing for them to fling. What really hurt? Well, when you said that, to me, you just called me stupid. Well, that's not what I said. But when you use these words, A plus B to me equals C. And so that hurt. And you are, you, you'd be amazed at how they're like, well, I didn't mean C, but that's what I heard. Like, I'm sorry. And it can change it. Or it's, hey, when you do this, this is how that leaves me feeling. All of a sudden, that shifts it from you're a villain to I have a problem and I'm coming to you for help. Everybody wants to be a hero. I guess I can't speak for all the girls. I've never been a girl. But um, from the time that little boys are knee high, they want to be a hero. They want to rescue the princess. They want to slay the dragon. They want to conquer the mountain. Um, but if you paint them the villain, they can accomplish it. and be a good one too. But when you give them that opportunity to go, hey, that hurt, but here's how, here's where I need help. They're like, I need help? Yes. And, and you can watch health come back into a spot where there's been brokenness. And you can navigate, and, and we have navigated all sorts of things, some of which were completely my stupidity. Usually it's me saying something and I don't realize what I'm saying. <laughs> There's definitely been a few of those. Um, but when we address it, assuming the best, and that's one of those powerful, powerful things where it says here that love, um, as it talks about it, 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 it does. It assumes the best of the other person. And if we'll assume the best rather than assign malice to everything, it's amazing how many problems that we can go through and we can discover it's not that they weren't, um, that they don't love you, that they didn't text you on their way home. It was driving conditions were bad. Like there's so many times where we can get a whole story in our mind and when we read into this, it's not even just the thing that they did, it's the reason that they did it that's made up, it's in our head that can cause so much resentment but when we, can, um, when we can bring it up and communicate it in love, 
And when we can be determined to be teachable, as Proverbs says, it changes the way that we navigate this. Yeah, and it gives a chance to diffuse that anger and to say, this is how I feel and give that person that chance to be the hero. And I know that I'm sure not everybody has done it that way. So the next best thing is learning to forgive one another, is learning that we are going to fail. We are gonna make mistakes. Habits are hard to break. You see people who bite their nails. They're smoking. You know, you see so many throughout the world of just different things that are just habits. So if you have a habit of doing something unpleasant towards your spouse, screaming at them, calling names, whatever it might be, maybe something not quite as drastic, we have to start with forgiveness and that fresh slate and being teachable and ready to do it different next time. Yeah, and there's, there's going to be mistakes. And one of the, like, you can find stupid ways to defuse it. So when we first got married, she loved, or she loved, she just had a great habit of interrupting. I had lots to say. And if, if there was a little bit of a disagreement, I would get out about three words, and that was enough to load her up, and then she would just fire away. And when she'd stop, I'd start to talk, I'd get out another three words, and she would just fire away. And so, came up with something like, right, we established this ahead of time, so it wasn't in the heat of the moment when she was, like, frustrated about something. She said, all right, if we're discussing something, and you start to cut me off, I'm going to raise my hand. Now realize that that <laughs> takes me not being prideful, and that I have to then say, I do have a problem with that. <laughs> but I don't want to be mean. I don't want him to feel like he can't talk to me. I want him to come to me with things. I want to feel like we can have a conversation and be a safe place. So I have to be willing and ready as well to be quiet when he has the hand raised and not get angry about that. <laughs> and like, if there's a spot where it's, hey, someone keeps interrupting, someone keeps yelling, hey, there is, it is normally like toxic, hurtful, and offensive when we go to navigate an issue. Um, when that starts to happen, if you've communicated ahead of time, hey, if, if our voices start to get above 95 decibels, um, I'm gonna raise my hand. If your words turn from constructive to attacking, um, I'm going to raise my hand, raise two hands, whatever. Just this visual, like, it, it'll throw you off. <laughs> What's happening? Oh, wait. When I was completely unemotional, I said that's not who or what I wanted to be, and I'm now being reminded that I'm doing the thing that I said I didn't want to do. Let me back up. And I remember we had a conversation, and it didn't turn into a fight. We'd already had this established. This is early on in our marriage when I made a wrong turn. I think I was, I don't even know if I was using the phone or what, the phones even had directions at this point in time. But um, we were going the wrong direction on the way to a kid's soccer event um, for one of our students. And she made a comment about how I got us lost while talking to them instead of we got lost. And I just went to like, hey, that just came off. 
I feel like you just threw me under the bus and then drove over me. Um, just the way that she had worded it. And she just starts to interrupt me. And so I raise my hand and she's like, oh, sorry. I'm like, hey, this is how that made me feel. Oh, yeah. And in one conversation, it happened like two or three times. And then it was only like two or three more times in the next couple years. That it was like, oh, oops. But she had to see it. And when we're determined that we want to honor God, it changes things. Um, I'm going to end with one quick story. I say, I say quick. It's a page and a half. Oh, you know. Um, <laughs> I have three minutes. Okay, so. Um, so many people think, they're like, hey, this is just because you guys are pastors. This is why this works. But years ago, uh, if you walk into the office and you just go, hey, we need to talk to a pastor. If you come in here in the day, there is a pastor that they, they say, for us on staff, it's like, hey, there's a couple pastors that are on call. So if someone walks in, someone calls in, says, I need to talk to a pastor today, that's who it's going to get transferred to. That's who they're going to call up to the desk. It was my day. Couple walks in, asks for a pastor. I come up to the office. She looks like she's like an emotional wreck. And he looks like a walking ice cube. I'm like, this is, this is not good. And you're like, God, help. Um, because, like, I, I don't know what to do with these people. And so you go sit down with them, and you're like, God, you're going to have to show up. I don't know. And you're like, I said, what's going on? And you're hoping that, like, they're going to say something, and the light bulb's going to go on. And, and they just, she's talking about how much their marriage is horrible and in the can and how she wants it fixed. And he's like, this ain't worth fixing. And he just, like, at any point trying to navigate anything, he's like, I don't care. It's not worth it. So finally, I'm like, all right, are you a Christian? Yeah. Okay. So you believe in God? Yes. Do you believe that God loves you? Yes. And then this, this was a bit of a conversation, but I'm giving you the short version. So it's, do you believe that God is, that he loves you, that he wants, that he's smarter than you, and that he wants the best for you? And finally, he goes through, and he's like, yes, yes, yes. All right, now that we've established that, what does God say about divorce? He hates it. Yep. Yeah, but you don't understand how bad our marriage is. I said, but what does God say? And we came around and around this until we established that this is what God says. And he says, fine. But I don't think it's worth it. Said they don't do it for that, do it for God. But if you'll honor God, it'll change things. And we prayed, they left. Two weeks later, three weeks later, they come back. And he's like, it's not fixed. I'm like, well, you guys took years getting into this mess. Um, he's like, he's like, there's been some some like glimmers of hope, but like he's like, it's not better and it's still not worth it. We went back to this whole thing. Here's what God said. Those are glimmers of what could be changing, but it's not going to be instant. But if you do what God says, it's going to change something. Six months, a year later, I got one of the coolest thank you cards. 
it was their names, a giant smiley face, said thank you, and had a, uh, a gift card for a restaurant. Their whole marriage turned around because they said, now how do I feel? But what does God say? Does God love me? Is he smarter than me? Does he want the best for me? And if I can establish those, then if I can do it God's way, and sometimes we forget that this is about doing it God's way, we just think it's easy to reduce Christianity to Sunday and to navigate our marriage just like the world. But if we'll apply God's word to our marriage, it will change everything. Now, as, as I was kind of looking at this, I said, you know, doing it God's way is the way to receive God's blessing. But there may be people here who have never surrendered their life to God. They may know everything about them. They may have been in church their whole life, but they may not have surrendered their life to God. And if you say, hey, I'm done doing it my way. I want to do it God's way. I want to give you a chance to respond to him. So if everyone would bow their heads and close their eyes a second. We're going to call on God's name because he says whoever calls on his name will be saved. So I'm just going to ask you to go ahead and repeat this with me. Say, God, thank you for loving me. Even when I make mistakes, I repent of my sins. I believe that you died and rose again. I choose to live for you from this day forward. You are my Lord, my boss. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Head still bowed for just a half a minute here. If you made that decision tonight, you say, hey, I came back to the Lord, um, or I, I made a decision today to make him my Lord. I'm gonna count to three. I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Go ahead, say, that's me. That's me. I, today, I'm, I'm making a decision. All right. God, I thank you for each marriage that's here, that you move in these marriages, that you strengthen them, that you would not just be the God that they claim, but that you would guide and direct their lives, to direct, help them direct their words, and that you would move in their marriages, uniting them, strengthening them, and helping them to forgive each other and leave the past in the past. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name.